Welcome to episode 93 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. So the NTIA and the DOD have launched the 5G challenge. The question is, can this accelerate a more open 5G ecosystem? So the details are, it's actually a contest. The prize purse is up to $3 million. And the three focus areas within 5G network subsystems are distributed unit, DU, centralized unit, CU, and radio unit, RU. And so the NTIA actually advises the president on telecommunication initiatives, and certainly the DOD is involved um, just from probably all those concerns around, um, you know, Chinese infrastructure and the concern around, you know, Chinese, you know, government uh, espionage and, and that sort of thing. But I believe this is a good thing. I don't necessarily believe it's going to accelerate things because Open RAN and VRAN are, they've got tons of momentum. We've covered this on prior podcasts, but I'd like to get your perspective. Sure. So um, I'm not as familiar with this challenge as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that a lot of these challenges tend to produce pretty good results. Usually like 80% or 90% are failures. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a small percentage that are successful. And some of those actually do end up launching new companies. Um, usually these, these price pools are so small that they don't really work um, for, say, you know, an, an established company. But usually they're, they're, they're for like, uh, you know, researchers that are, you know, PhD students that are planning on getting out into the real world or, um, you know, are working on a, on a PhD project. And sometimes this can be their, their end goal, which is to get that funding. And usually the teams that win these challenges uh, take the, these wins uh, and, and, and run with them in a way that allows them to get funding for a bigger effort. So, yeah. Generally, these are just, um, you know, these are not really designed to be full fund efforts, um, but they are designed to kind of spur potentially new good ideas, um, usually from the education sector um, yeah. or the academia, um, to, to, to think of a solution for a problem in that. Hopefully that's, that's ultimately the end result. Yeah, I think uh, it'll definitely spur innovation to your point. It might spur some startup opportunities as well, but time will tell. But let's move to your first topic this week. And you want to talk about North Grumman and Lockheed and some announcements. Yeah. So um, both Lockheed and Northrop have uh, come out with announcements uh, basically within the last week. Uh, the, The Lockheed announcement was on April 4th. And then uh, the Northrop was on April 5th. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, let's just put it this way. The the timing was suspiciously close uh, for two very large defense contractors. Um, The first announcement was Lockheed's, uh, which is uh, an agreement that they signed with Intel, which basically um, helps them to um, more deepen their relationship with Intel. Uh, They signed an MOU late last year, um, basically aligning their hardware and software solutions uh, for the Department of Defense. So this is obviously for the DOD only. 
Um, and, and, and basically it will allow them to create a more cohesive uh, partnership for their 5G.mil um, solutions, which are a, a multitude of uh, you know, solutions for enabling 5G for the DoD uh, across um, air, sea, land, and space and cyber domains. Um, and, and it's kind of like, you know, the, the, there's already a 5G ML, MIL uh, hybrid base station, which is Intel-based. So uh, this is kind of like a, a cloud edge, uh, you know, network gateway, all, all kinds of places where Intel might play in infrastructure will be available to, um, to uh, Lockheed from Intel. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think they even mentioned that they've already got some deployments of their 5G hybrid base stations here in San Diego at Camp Pendleton. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's a very interesting announcement on the Lockheed side. And then on the uh, Northrop side, AT&T announced that they will be powering um, Northrop's uh, IoT uh, solutions for 5G as well. Um, and this was um, something that's part of their the DOD's joint all domain command and control or JADC2 um, implementation plan, uh, which requires high, high speed, low latency connectivity across multiple terrains domains to connect warfighters to systems, data and shooters. So this is a little bit more of a network technology, um, but I have a feeling that it's probably not that different from what, what's going on with 5D, 5G.mil. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, having alternatives is a good thing. Uh, for the, the U.S. government, you know, only having one defense contractor bid them is probably not ideal. Right. Um, but, you know, overall, it seems like the, the defense contractors are partnering with the IT industry uh, in a meaningful way that I think will help accelerate the use of 5G in the military and, and put us at a uh, communications advantage against our competitors, which right now I actually think defense spending is going to continue to grow um, at a very rapid pace. Um, you know, we do have the largest defense budget in the world, but we're also helping to, uh, you know, prop up countries like Ukraine, where yeah. they don't have a, you know, a very strong military budget or military for that matter. And we're, we're helping fund that. And um, I think with this war going on and, and the expectation that there will be continued hostilities, uh, I think defense budgets will continue to grow and needs for, for advanced communications will uh, um, only grow. I agree with you. And we've talked about the military applications for 5G. I mean, they're, they're varied. And it's great to see these defense contractors working with the Intels and the AT&Ts of the world, really leaning into that, that tried and true enterprise sort of IT DNA. Because I, you know, my impression with these defense contractors, they've somewhat been siloed over the years. And 5G is just a, a different ball game. And so there's an ecosystem there. And this is gonna, you know, this is a nice dovetail to my first topic, just kind of talking about, um, you know, driving a more open 5G ecosystem. So with that, let me move to my second topic this week. And there were a couple of different articles that Light Reading posted, one of the European contributors, and then Mike Dano, who we've had on our podcast before. And both were really, focused on in their articles asking the question, is fiber basically fundamental to 5G network deployment? So I think in Vodafone's case, they rely a lot on microwave, which is somewhat unreliable. <clears throat> they don't have a lot of access to fiber. So they're going to have to find new and innovative ways to get access to fiber to support backhaul. 
And then Mike Dano was speaking to the fact that AT&T, in my mind, is a, is a front runner. And I'll, I'll share a little bit of inside baseball there in a moment based on some, some time I spent with them this week. But that, um, are, you know, is T-Mobile, is DISH at a disadvantage because they're not investing in it? And sort of what, what T-Mobile and DISH are saying is that it's, um, you know, it's, it's sort of not, you know, important from their perspective to invest heavily in it. And certainly that makes sense when you look at what T-Mobile's doing with FWA. But then when you look at an AT&T that's making major investments in fiber, which is driving significant ARPU and their broadband monetization, but also serving as that fundamental backhaul and backbone to 5G deployment, it's quite compelling. So at the end of the day, I spent time with AT&T this week. We were in New Orleans and I spent an entire day and we toured several different sites I was posting on Twitter, so go hit at Willtown Tech if you're interested and seeing some of my live tweets there. But one of the most compelling things that we did towards the end of that tour on Monday was that um, Scott Mayer, who is head of all of network for AT&T, took us into a what's called a CO, and we actually got to drop down in the bowels of the what's referred to as the cable vault and got to see all of the cable that dates all the way back to the 1900s. And it's really sort of mind blowing to see all of that and just sort of understand the scope of that. But certainly AT&T has been, in my mind, in the pole position with respect to fiber. And it's funny, I was talking to Scott and you know he made a comment around, you know, 5G is strategic, but fiber is fundamental. So I don't know what your thoughts are, but um, I tend to agree with Scott's opinion there. Um. I have opinions. <laughs> yes, you do. I think there is a place where fiber is fundamental to a 5G network. Mm -hmm. But I also think that if you're not fully saturating the use of that fiber and taking the full advantage of that fiber, you're not actually going to pay for, um, you're not really going to pay for it with just a mobile network. I agree. Um, you have to you have to monetize that with broadband. Yeah, you have absolutely. to you absolutely have to monetize the crap out of it. Yeah. Um because if you're only using it for one use case, then I don't think it makes sense to actually own it. Um and I think when you look at like T-Mobile, um I, they're only going to use it for a mobile network, granted a considerable amount of traffic. But if if you're an AT&T and you're able to use it for both you know, mobile network traffic as well as broadband and business users, I can actually see that 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 justification existing. Yeah. That said, that said, um, I also don't think AT&T's uh, fiber footprint is necessarily where it should be. Um, I think that they're very selective with where they choose to deploy fiber mm -hmm. uh, on the uh, broadband side. Yeah. So, you know, I think the fiber deployments that they are doing on the broadband side are probably giving them some savings on their network side. Um, but I think that based on what I've seen in terms of what their fiber deployments are, you know, FTTH or, or whatever, um, it's not necessarily a big enough footprint where I think they're getting massive cost savings, but I do think that they are getting some cost savings by, by piggybacking off each other. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's funny, I think in the in the Mike Dano article, T-Mobile referred to it as sort of a commodity, 
fiber. And, you know, I think you and I made the same point that if you're able to monetize that investment, you know, I believe I'm going to just go by memory, but I believe that AT&T's broadband business is a $10 billion plus business and they're, they're rapidly transitioning their customers over to fiber. I mean, that's a huge market opportunity, right? But you've got to have the bank account to go invest in that. And certainly Verizon and uh, T-Mobile have been more focused on, on FWA. Although Verizon has had its Fios uh, business that's been fiber-based, but I think that is, uh, that, that's winding itself out, um, you know, to my understanding. But yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. But at the end of the day, if you're an AT&T, you can make that investment. You can properly monetize that investment on the broadband side of things. Then I do think it gives you somewhat of an advantage from uh, supporting the, the mobile 5G network. But to your point, you got to make sure that fiber is in all, all of the right places. But with that, let's move to your second topic this week. And you want to talk about Deutsche Telekom and their continued journey in deploying standalone 5G in Germany. Yeah, so, um, you know, they're actually one of the first uh, in the world to, to roll a 5G SA. Um, the standalone network they have uh, came, I believe, after T-Mobile US's. Mm-hmm. Um, and they already, you know, they already have it in place. But now they, they've, um, they have more than 5,000 antennas transmitting at 3.6. Um, and they said that they have 350 new sites um, that have been added in the recent weeks and that this 5G SA network is now available in more than 200 urban centers and cities across Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said that um, they can provide download speeds of up to one gigabit per second and enable minimum response times of 10 mil, less than 10 milliseconds. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this is, I, I think, a, uh, a very interesting application because Deutsche Telekom uses 3.6 exclusively for 5G, okay. while they use 2.1 with DSS and split that with 4G LTE for obviously for coverage layer. But even 2.1 isn't necessarily a great coverage layer um, technology. Right. So um, I think when you look at what they're doing, 3.6 is going to be the one they're going to want to use for, for, for uh, um, standalone anyways. Yeah. Uh, and they'll eventually transition their low band to, to standalone. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I think this is going to be where they um, really just de- deploy their use cases. And I think they understand that their customers, which are going to be a lot of enterprise customers, um, because those are going to be the ones who care about standalone the most, um, they're going to be the ones that want to use it for manufacturing and, and, and for fixed wireless and a bunch of different applications, private networking. And... I think that um, they are trying to get ahead of it. Um, and I think they'll will have they'll probably have some kinds of standalone based applications by the end of the year um, because they're on a very aggressive path. Uh, and they already have 16 mobile phones and tablets um, that are already compliant with standalone. So they already have a, a decent um, selection of devices that can take advantage of the network. Um, so I think this is going to be one of those things where um, it will probably be a slower roll, but we'll we'll start to see some early applications pop up this year, and I think the multitude of them will probably be available next year. Yeah. Hey, is it accurate to state that 
Deutsche Telekom and, you know, in, in Europe and T-Mobile in the U.S., I mean, from my perspective, they're really leading the SA charge, right? I mean, are there any other operators in Europe, to your, to your knowledge, that are as far along in SA as Deutsche Telekom is? Uh, interestingly enough, Vodafone probably is very close, okay. um, which I think is probably what has pushed Deutsche Telekom to be as aggressive as they are. Okay. Um, and I think that's a good thing because um, they, they will be, uh, you know, competing with each other to, to provide the best service and coverage. Mm -hmm. uh, Vodafone claims that their standalone network uh, will be available by, to all Germans by 2025. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, they've, they obviously have uh, a ramp to happen as well. But I think long-term, most carriers around the world that already have 5G deployed um, and have some kind of standalone plan will probably have it deployed in full by 2025. Okay. Well, makes sense. Cool. Well, let's go to my third and final topic. And this is interesting. I wasn't aware of this company, Omnispace. I don't know. Have you heard of Omnispace, Anshul? I have. We actually talked about them once. We have. Well, I am on allergy medication, thus the voice quality today. But uh, just to reiterate what Omnispace is, they're deploying a hybrid network. And so the idea is that, you know, you leverage a terrestrial network and then in areas that are underserved by connectivity, it defaults over to a low earth orbit satellite network. And so this week they announced a collaboration with Azure to focus on and leverage uh, the Azure uh, 5G core, much like AT&T announced uh, several months ago as well. So I, it's funny, like we, we've done so many podcasts where we're almost at 100 right now. But uh, I, I guess this, this struck me as interesting. You know, I'm very passionate about bridging, you know, the digital divide. I am working on a book called The Human Network there. But I think this is pretty innovative from my perspective. Any, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely have something uh, unique. Uh, I, I think that from what I recall, um, the last time we talked about them, they were raising funds. Okay. Uh, they had raised a decent amount of money. Um, and yeah, I, I think when you, when you consider where 5G is moving um, and, and that satellite is going to be a part of release 17 and 18, um, there definitely are some opportunities for some satellite startups to take advantage of the, the, the desire and need to provide coverage outside of urban and suburban areas yeah. and fill gaps um, and rural coverage where um, it's very hard to dig fiber or, or even lay any fiber, um, let alone copper or any kind of wire. So um, yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see how that plant you know, pans out. I haven't really heard of any big deployments uh, yet, but I'm sure that they're working aggressively to um, get some trials out there and make it make it a possibility, especially once release 17 um, becomes a reality, which might happen next year, might happen the, the following year, because yeah. this is the, re, you know, this is the year of release 16. So um, I, I'm hesitant to say next year will be 17, but it's possible. Cool. Well, let's move to your third and final topic. And you want to talk about T-Mobile and some diversification efforts that are related to its fixed wireless access. Yeah, so there were uh, um, a multitude of things that came out over the last week about their their FWA business. So they actually quietly 
um, started rolling out a second uh, FWA device, um, which I actually became aware of thanks to uh, fellow analyst Avi Greengart, who mm-hmm. got that device while uh, I have the Nokia-based device. Um, and it's interesting because uh, I, I looked into the, um, the Arcadian um, device, who is the, the ODM, and it's a, a, a little bit more of a cost-optimized solution, um, but it's also a simpler solution in the sense that there's, less, there's fewer chipsets on the device, which in theory should make it easier to produce and less likely to um, have a potential supply chain issue. So it's also a MediaTek-based device. Um, so it, it is um, MediaTek modem, MediaTek Wi-Fi, MediaTek um, networking, so it's a it's a very integrated device on the MediaTek mm-hmm. side, uh, mm-hmm. which the Nokia device was Qualcomm based. So they have a multitude of diversity on the FWA side, and um, in general, I think it's good for them to have you know supplier diversity, yeah. so that they can uh, you know address any kind of potential um, you know supply chain issues that might arise, which it sounds like may have happened with the Nokia device. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's good because I think having more FWA devices available to consumers and to operators will ultimately benefit everyone because costs will come down and um, more people can get access to it. And, and, and the, the overall cost of the plans can stay low, which I think is currently like 50 bucks a month. Right. Um, I'm not sure how long that will last, but um, I think I've already heard some stories of people switching to T-Mobile's uh, fixed wireless network um, and, and leaving cable because the, the speeds and the prices were better. Yeah, you know, it doesn't surprise me that they're adding a second, uh, you know, vendor into the mix because they're ahead of their goals with respect to driving um, FWA subscribership. And so as you, you know, that, you know, like you mentioned for continuity of supply and certainly given the supply chain g- general issues that we're seeing uh, most recently, I think it's a wise thing for them to do. So Well, hey, buddy, it was another great podcast. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Tech, and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend, and please tune in again next week.